episode 95 welcome i'm josh tyson he's mark brush this is our podcast food news eventually is what we're doing here we have a couple other podcasts one of them's called in the face that's our football podcast we just recorded a uh, book buddies we first recorded one. the first episode of book buddies now book buddies comes out give us a chance it's wednesday two will be better than one i think but it's a good start well if you've listened and if you've listened to in the, in the face delta which we released uh, friday you'll know that there was some yeah, school's out for the winter time. Kids are in the picture. You can run and hide from the chaos, but we've we've seen what that's done to Mark Brush's health, so we decided to embrace the chaos. Yeah, splitting headache. That's okay. I can power through. You have a headache right now? A little bit. I think I'm hungry. Oh. Can I have some pizza? Nope. It's for the kids. <laughs> Natch, episode 95. Whisper in your lover's ear. Fatherhood. What do you whisper? In one sentence. Whisper. Natch. You can give me a text. You text that sound hawk. 303-548-6877. Give me a text. Yeah, give him a text. Oh, yeah. All right, this is going to be a fun show. We got and a if, little... if you're hearing something in the background, about... I know the sound hawk is. Uh, that is What About Bob what about playing Bob? in the basement. I'm sailing. I said good morning, Gil. We can gonna... want to run some more lines? Nope. We're going to do a little bit up front here. We're going to then... 
tee up a little TED talk that TEDx Mile High yep. Marketing Maven has connected us with. I'm the, uh, for those of you who might not know, I am the marketing maven of TEDx Mile High. Are you downgraded from Maverick? Actually, I'm just marketing director. I started as Maverick, and then I kind of realized, I don't know how Mavericky I'm feeling. Then I realized I'm actually just directing a lot of stuff, so I'm marketing director. But then, you got all I like the sound of marketing maven better. I feel more like a maven. Um, but yeah, one of our amazing speakers from the It's About Time TEDx, TEDx Mile High Women event we went on that went down on October 28th, uh, Danielle Below. We went out and walked to Wash Park, a local yep. Denver haunt, and talked about bees. You'll get that in the second half. And we'll, we'll play you a little uh, snippet of her TED Talk. It's all about how we could uh, plant wildflowers in parking lots and save some bees. And fingers crossed. So, fingers we have a crossed. Guest, so we have a guest on this one for the for the back half, but my fingers are crossed. If, if the stars align mm-hmm. and listeners to In the Face will know that the music is in me now, we're going we're gonna to send you out with a little Christmas carol. Kids singing Christmas carols. What you got to do? You got kids in the house. You got to put them to work. So maybe we'll be singing some Christmas carols. We'll I'm see the sound hawk. Three zero three five four eight six eight seven seven. Top of the show. Thank you, Butler Brothers. You can thank them. Go ahead. I'm going to thank them, and I'm going to thank Fortnite Collective, a new agency in Boulder. Both of these people have bestowed gifts upon, well, indirectly, the Natch crew. Hmm. Me, Nat via Natch via me. Fortnite Collective, Andy, just getting off the ground. We'll help him figure this stuff out, change food from within something. What are you talking about? Butler Brothers sent a, a lovely care package. Yeah, to of, you. I, you're you're going to partake of this. How do we share a blanket? We're going to lay on... We're going As soon as we get through the holiday stretch, I'm going to uh, bring that blanket over. Okay. I'm going to shuffle the deck of cards, and you and I are going to drink that... Tequila? Take, I think so. Reposado? Is that, a, is that like a nice tequila? It's a type of, there's, uh, there's three kinds of tequila, I think. I don't remember. I used to care. Reposado. What the hell is reposado? It's tequila. like the middle octane tequila. The, I well, think. you and I are going to drink that and see how the show goes. Anejo? We'll have to alert the butlers to that special moment. It's going to be a good one. We're going to split that sucker. It's a, it's a branded glass carafe. Ooh. I can't wait to see it. The, with the bees from the I've, Actually, Brothers. I've seen pictures of that care package. Thanks, guys. Our boy, our boy uh, Matt Dillon. Now, do you know got one? Yeah, yeah. he was draped in the uh, draped you're in the so blanket. Close. Jo- Josh, you're so close to that inner circle. I know, not close enough. Next, next year, next year I'm I'll sure get a package, it was sent and we will share it. Um, and speaking of, speaking of, yeah, speaking of the butlers, we got Marty Butler here, right? We got Marty sending off a tweet. Uh, one of the Butler Bros down in Austin, Texas, partners in crime on many things, including the Get Bit podcast with Mark Bittman. Which in we the latest produce. installment of We Are Watching. I have a tweet from Marty. Have you done the sound cue? Um, wait, there's a sound cue for We Are Watching? Yeah, I want the sound cue. That sound cue? Marty Butler, tweet, from Fox News. Dot, dot, dot. Hardcore GOPers are pro-kombucha. Can't keep track anymore. Need to move to New Zealand. And then there's some screenshot here, source unknown. Kombucha. What's... Do the members of the Freedom Caucus and hipsters in Brooklyn have in common? Apparently, it's a love for kombucha. The fermented tea drink, much in vogue on both coasts of the, coasts of the U.S., the caucus wants the federal government's rules for sipping alcoholic beverages revised. The threshold to be able to ship products containing alcohol should be elevated in order to support the growing kombucha industry, the report noted. There you go. You know what? Worlds collide. I know this I can get behind. You're not a fan of 2016. You thought this year sucked balls, I've heard you say multiple times. 
I'm inclined to agree. I think we put it Here's in one a, thing I would like to see die. Sign up for the newsletter to get sucked to ball, suck balls. <laughs> what, you're going to suck their balls if they sign up for the newsletter? That's a, was that's a the, very generous offer, Mark. We sent out the Yuletide mixer. We did. There's all sorts the of good stuff on that newsletter. newsletter. <laughs> Subscribers, and it says 2016 sucked balls. That's Don't want you to miss out on that. Um, here's what I'd like to see die with uh, 2016 the quote Brooklyn hipster becoming the scapegoat for like anything like mustaches, kombucha, beards. It's like the laziest shit. Interesting. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of this clickbait bullshit world we live in. And that is just one sign of it. And that, you know what that is also a sign of, that's a sign of the year that that's, that we're wrapping up all of the numerous ways you could have interpreted that story. Kombucha, Trump, alt-right, et cetera, et cetera. And you focus in on the hipster comment because you have a mind like no other. Natch 95. I just, I'm tired of lazy yeah, well, I'm aware, journalism. I'm aware it's not journalism that. even. I don't know what it is I think the anymore. Cru- the crux of this though is kombucha, alt-right, overlap. Yeah. What, about, what about Bob? Got a lot louder lately. I think it's the fine. Are, it's fine. Are. It's a great movie. Um... You want to tell us a little bit about the future of meat, Mark? Yeah, Since sure. Since we're all here. I can do that. Still digesting my uh, wheat berry navy bean stew. What do you think of that stew? I liked it quite a bit. Tell me, a, tell me a little bit about it. What kind of, what Only you... thing that would have made that better is the little alt-right kombucha. Mm, yeah. Freedom-cha. Freedom-cha. Could you taste any... Um, I guess there weren't any hidden spices in that one. Sometimes when I make a stew or a chili, you know, if I make chili... I. All bets are off. Sometimes I'll put a little brown sugar in there, maybe a little cinnamon. I've put nutmeg in chili before. But for this stew, just standard. Just garlic, onion, base, sautéed, a little salt, a little bit of pepper. I think that was it, man. You got a stew going, baby. Future of meat? Yeah, this is some guy, Jason Lusk. Found it somewhere. Tweet. Interesting thing. The, The gist of it was about everybody's talking about the future of meat as... We don't have enough resources to grow it. Oh, excuse me, Wheatberry. The animals are abused. Isn't that a shame? We should embrace technology and science and not be afraid. Which is not a bad point. Well, that's stew, man. (laughs) Just one quick aside. For each cow and heifer in the U.S., in 2012, an additional, in the year 2012, an additional 217 pounds of beef was produced as compared with 1970. That's a 50% increase. Meanwhile, the number of cows per capita has fallen by about 47%. Remarkably, 4.4 billion more pounds of beef were produced in 2012 than in 1970, despite the fact that there are now 9.5 million fewer cows and heifers. So is that just thanks to growth hormones? I think it's the efficiencies of science. Growth hormones. the meat you don't want to eat. Cutting off those extra parts. Now, that's a meat that you can beat. It's an interesting graph. Cows, a lot fewer cows, a lot more pounds of beef. Mm. Huh. Where's, where's average on this? <laughs> I don't see average. All right, I got one more, and then we can uh, get to the f- real fun of the show. Mm-hmm. The top 10 most important foodborne outbreaks of 2016. We used to have a cue for this, too. Oh, I don't have that anymore. What oh, the... It? Oh, yeah, it was... Um, the Marler Food... Marler... It was the Marler food scare. I don't know. You wanted, you had some real high concept. 
I think we got a. I think we randomly got an audio snippet of my dog Bowie. <laughs> yeah, that's hacking it. on something. So here's what it sounded like. No. So that's the sound cue. This is not Bob Marley. This is food safety news. They ranked the uh, the top ten outbreaks. Did you say this is not Bob Marley. <laughs> it's not Bob Marley either. Neither is this Bob Marley. 2016 top ten outbreaks include a total. Just gonna scare your pants off, but let's have fun with it. Top 10 outbreaks include a total of 10 deaths. You know what? All in all, that's not that bad. All right. You can live with 10 deaths, huh? Well, it'd be a shame if you were one of the 10. But yeah. Well, you wouldn't be talking all about of that, it now. All of that convenient, all of your little packaged wheat berries over at Sprouts, and only 10 people died. Pretty good. In the U.S. Pretty good odds. Four of the outbreaks involve salmonella, three listeria, two hep A, one E. coli. Interestingly, salmonella resistant to antibiotics came into play. Uh oh. I'm not sure interestingly is the right adverb there. Horrifyingly. And the single E. coli outbreak did not involve beef, but flour. Oh, fuck. Okay, here we go. Top 10. I'm going to go with, I'm going to do in reverse order. 10. Deadly and widespread, there were eight multi state outbreaks of humans. Okay. Salmonella infections linked to live poultry and backyard flocks. You want to talk about your Brooklyn hipsters? Yeah, there's your, your fucking backyard chickens. Your, your backyard chickens. Oh. Spreading disease. Your pickles. What are you pickling next, Brooklyn hipster? Number nine. Chickens' feet. Trotters. More Eggs. Than, more than 350 consumer products sold under 42 brand names prepared with frozen vegetables from CRF Frozen Foods were recalled, but not before nine people in four states were put in hospitals with listeria. You know what I do now when I buy, because I like to buy frozen veggies at Costco, <gasps> like mostly just frozen peas. In my stew? No, but it's great. Oh, I could have put those in there. Fuck. It's good to have a, it's great to have a big bag of frozen peas around. You bet there is. You can just throw it in anything. But what I in. usually do is I buy it and then I don't use it for about two weeks. I see, wait. I wait to see if there's a recall before I use it. Well, that's, that's going to take more than two weeks. Hey, we had a, what was that? Was that a hepatitis scare with some That's this like pomegranate seeds from Turkey? Yeah. Was that this year, though? I feel like that was last year. That was year. a couple years ago, and then there was all the frozen vegetables through Costco, which I think is this. Yeah. Well, I mean, we yeah, we bought a berry medley at Costco, and then we had to go get shots. Oh, you're right. Maybe that wasn't listed. Even though we that was weren't even sure if we'd eaten anything. Number eight. Hmm. Two Hawaiians are dead, and at least 292 were infected with hep A from this likely source, raw scallops. Harvested in the Philippines and served at Genki Genki Sushi restaurants on Oahu and Kauai. All right. Not eating a lot of raw scallops myself. So when I get into this ketogenic thing, I'm going to be eating some oysters and sardines. Are those raw? They're in a tin? They're smoked. Mm, smoked is probably cooked. Uh, sardines are cooked. Yeah. Raw oysters are delicious, though, man. Go get some fucking raw oysters. What about raw scallops? You can go to the, a fishmonger and just get some raw oysters, get yourself a little chainmail glove and shuck them. Where? Which, if you, when you want to get some, something really special from your local fishmonger, where do you go? Uh, I would go, I think it's called the market. What's that called? It's like, down, it's a new, um, Kind of like communal bazaar in Five Points. I think it's called the Market. They have a fishmonger. They do. They have some really good looking seafood in there, and then they have like a. What's a good name for a fish fishmonger? Uh, fish heads, fish heads, roly poly fish heads. No, fish heads. The, the name of heads. the guy. If you're gonna be like, hey, eat them up, yum. Uh, Collie. Clem. <laughs> uh, Number seven. 
Oh, Travis. What? Tra- that's, a, that's an able fishmonger. One death, Trav. One death was, if you con- know him. was confirmed among 19 Listeria cases in nine states that were linked to packaged salads produced <clears throat> at the Dole Processing Plant in Springfield, Ohio. I think it's safer just to buy like some heads of romaine. Just to do that shit yourself. Just chop it up yourself. Wash it. Salad spin it. I got a salad spinner. I love that thing. I was talking to Rocky when we were talking about making leeks. Rocky. Rocky. I love a Rocky. He's like, do you have a salad spinner? Like, I do not. You don't? I don't? We don't have, we have colanders and stuff. I need to get the spinner. The spinner's where it's at, man. I think we moved somewhere and didn't bring the spinner. See, the problem is, is like, I, you buy, I buy those packaged things of salad. If I buy the little one, it's gone too fast. But if I buy two little ones, I don't open the second one in time. And then if I buy a big one, I, you know, I'll play this little game in my head. Like, oh no, this time I'm going to eat enough salad. I'm going to plow through this. Nope. Three days later, it's like three quarters full and veggie farts. You open it and it's like stinky. There's brown water in the bottom. But here's what I tried to do just last night. and smoothies. I wanted to save some of that shit. So I tried to rinse off all the slimy parts and like salad spin them clean. Didn't work so well. But still, salad spinners are great. Of course they are. Number six, raw milk. Duh. Number five, the second largest Hep A outbreak of 2016 did not involve any deaths, but did result in 134 illnesses in nine states. Of those, 129 people reported eating a smoothie containing strawberries from a tropical smoothie cafe. Do you eat a smoothie or do you drink a smoothie? That's one question. That's the only thing that sticks out to the me. The other question is, when you go to a smoothie store and get a smoothie, do you live or die? Um, no one died, so no, you don't Number die. Number seven. What am I on? Four. Why are you doing these backwards? <laughs> no. On September t- number 4, 4th, 29-2016, CDC said the outbreak involving Shiga toxin producing Escherichia coli. Sounds fun. Estec. Stec. Is that a really bad E. coli? That that infection from flour was over, but illnesses might continue <coughs> for some time, which we talked about back on episode mew. That's because flour and other dry products with flour as an ingredient typically remain in people's homes for a long time because of long shelf lives. The epidemiological yeah. laboratory and traceback evidence all pointed at the General Mills facility in Kansas City, Missouri as the source of the outbreak. GM. Check your flowers. Remember that? Gold, was it gold bond, gold, gold bond flour? Are we almost Favorite? done with these? Gold bond. Isn't yeah. that- Are you awake? Well, I mean, geez, you're one, number it's one nine, gloomy, eight, number gold three. bond is talcum powder, isn't it? That was the joke. Oh, okay. Oof. Number three, six of the 33 Salmonella Vircow cases linked to Garden of Life raw meal organic shake and meal products. Hey, we covered that one. Yep. Number two, alfalfa sprouts. Duh. Yeah, don't, gross. Sprouts? No, number one. Too dangerous. Late in the year, on November 28, 2016, CDC announced 21 confirmed cases of Salmonella Heidelberg. That's Brian Cranston's favorite. Mm. In eight states that were notable for being resistant to multiple drugs and involving contact with bull calves. Watch out for these dairy bull calves. These people touched a bunch of the bull calves. They got salmonella resistant to antibiotics. Yeah, it's the, inappropriate contact anyway to be making. So Everybody loves a calf. A rub on the calf. I like a little work on my calves. I'll bet you do. That's the antibiotic cliff. We can't resist. We're toast. And you know who loves that idea? Who? 4G. Oh, yeah, he does, I bet. Our fave. 
Happy holidays to 4G. Yeah, I hear him coming. Is he coming now? He's coming. Should I keep talking? Nah. Graves Apes. It's stuff you probably already know, but needed some goofball to remind you. Happy holidays, humanoids. And that's spelled H-O-L-I-D-A-Z-E. As you know, I love this chaotic planet, hence this time of year, I'm a card-carrying member of the interstellar unprotected sect of Santa. I love this Santa dude because anybody with a venison-powered spacecraft? (laughs) WTF. But I believe there's something deeper. And I've noted that Christmas is conveniently placed between your national elections and presidential inauguration. I have also noted, it appears earthly politics is all about favors, influence, and gifts. And this Christmas calendar sandwich is no coincidence because it's no deep Santa secret that politics is universally the number one holiday gift that keeps on giving. Unless, of course, your glad hand gets caught in some illegal finance campaign cookie jar. But anyway, I'm such a fruitcake and I can't wait for Santa. That jelly belly gerrymander is about to stop by. So when it comes to presents, I just have one suggestion. Since your president-elect is currently naming his cabinet, why not really be transparent and appoint Santa Claus as your new U.S. godfather of gifting? That way, politicians, bankers, oil dudes, generals, hey, why not? Every earthling should get a gift box of cash. But this isn't Santa Claus. It's more like Santa Corleone and this new program. He'll be right in the groove with the new guys in charge. And this time, you'll actually have to return the favor for the presents that he brings. Ack, ack. Oh, Greg. Greg Bagney. 4G. Um, so, yes, thanks. That was Greg Bagney weighing in with some uh, business insider <laughs> info. I think that was business insider info. <laughs> I think so. It usually is. The Santa rant. Well, I know, but you know, you know what made me laugh is like uh, he's, he's saying that Trump uh, should add Santa to his cabinet. You know who'd make a great Santa who got uh, iced out already is uh, Chris Christie. He's got mm. a bowl full of jelly, you know, and he's kind of like a forget about it guy. You'd have to probably make you feel like he's giving you a gift, but then you realize later, like, oh, shit, I really owe this guy something now. Damn. I'm on the hook. I'm on the hook. Still, I also sometimes like to spell holidays, holidays, like Greg said, you know, H-O-L-I-D-A-Z-E. Who doesn't? It's fun. I mean, it lets yeah. people know that you're a pretty fun guy. It does. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of fun. Speaking of fun. We had a blast with Danielle Bilo. Yep. We met uh, with Danielle Bilo. As we mentioned, we walked around Wash Park. We talked about bees. The founder of Fumble Bumble. Yes. FumbleBumble.com. Check it out. Yeah. She's trying to get... Uh, she made us smarter about the bees. And not, not just about honeybees, because everyone... <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. Everyone knows about honeybees. We're talking about native bees. We got smart. We got we got we got wise to we native got granular bees. on the bees. I knew about some of the CCD and the honeybees. It was the native bees. Blew Mark's mind. And it was something else. You know, I I of course marketing Maven. I was at the event. I heard the talk, so I knew about these native bees. Give them a little of the talk. So I got to watch Mark's eyes just. Well, they kind of went he blank. Still, he was I a little think, vacant. He's like, what? But then once he realized what what was happening, he was like, oh my god, native bees! How did I not know about this? Sweat bees. I love sweat bees. So um, let's give, give him a little of the talk. Let's listen to the talk. Then we'll, we'll give you a little bit of an interlude. 
play a little alluvium, kind of a palate cleanser for you, and then we'll go right into our, our time with Danielle. Enjoy. Parking lots are an eyesore and a poor use of land, in my opinion, but just because they are doesn't mean that they have to be. Johann van Gotha said it best when he said, everything has been thought of before, but the problem is to think of it again. This is our food and our world, and I'm pissed. You should be too. (laughs) These bees, they're intricately linked to our food and our happiness, and what affects bees directly affects us. But we don't have to stand around and wait for someone else to do something about it. All we have to do, in the words of Ron Finley, is plant some shit. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I'm not giving up my avocados or blueberries without a fight. Thank you. seen the TED Talk. Mm-hmm. I know the problem. Mm-hmm. I know how some companies are addressing it. I know what like Ron Finley's up to. <clears throat> I think I've talked to Ron a couple times. Um, what do you connect? Are you your own thing? Are you connected with a thing? So right now, I Bumble Fumble is its own thing. It is its own resource for people. You know, you can go on there, you can get the how-to guide, just download it, and it's in English and Spanish, which is great. So you can reach a wider range of individuals for sure. And whether you're a homeowner or on the city council, the same principles apply to pollinator habitat, to this native bee habitat. And so there's things transferable, whether you know, you're in Denver, whether you're in Australia, wherever you really are. And so the first goal is to get awareness out there and to get those main tactics of building pollinator habitat out to people. So that's where we start is a little bit of base knowledge. You know, a lot of feedback is I had no idea that 95, uh, you know, up to 95% of bees don't actually sting. And it's like, okay, well, 
we need to start that conversation and get rid of the incorrect contemporary stereotypes as well against bees. And then we can build up from there. But the overall reach is, what I want is very big. Yeah. I want to, you know, there's no reason why all these cities can't be changing uh, their, you know, park or parking lot standards to be more pollinator friendly. If there's already standards, all you have to do is really change words on a page. And so it's, it's that easy. So right now we're in uh, Wash Park uh, in Denver, which is a gigantic park. Lots of grass, lots of green stuff, but uh, as you pointed out a minute ago, not a lot of fun areas for bees. Yeah, not not a terrible amount for pollinators in this park, especially for how big it is. You know, it's one of Denver's premier parks, and I love it. I live super close by here, and I come and I look at the view of the mountains, and it's amazing. And then when I look around the park, you barely see anything for pollinators. You know, you'll see a couple of these patches along the creek beds that will be, you know, good four weeks of food for them, but there's not much. There, we're about to walk to a little circle area that has a good pollinator garden demonstration over there, but that's it. Outrageous. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, that the knowledge that, um, did you say 95% of bees don't sting? Yeah, it's about 90 to 95% of those bees. Um, right, that's what so is that part of the battle too? Is it the, the bees are stigmatized as pests on the way that they can sting people and potentially kill people with allergies? I don't think that helps, no. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's true for honeybees. You know, they're managed colonies, but these native bees, they're basically solitary. They live in the ground or in wood, and they leave, you know, if they leave, if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone as well. Unless, you know, you start going, digging through their, uh, that's what I want to ask. Their habitat. Then they might get a little pissed off. But, I mean, so would you if someone intruded in your home. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand the distinction between honeybees. So native bee can be any type of bee that's just not managed by a human kind of thing? No, that's that's a good question. So two types of bees in general, right? Native bees and non-native bees. Okay. So the non-native bees, they did not originate here or wherever yep. you are, you know? That makes sense. And so for the non-native bees here, you know, we have the managed honeybee colonies and we have uh, the African bees as well. But native bees, they're the ones that you see that they include bumblebees. You know, they include those green sweat bees out there. They're, they're multicolored. They have a range of body sizes and fuzziness and things like that as well. So it's also getting the visual picture outside of the honeybee as well. You know, so not only like their tactics, but these bees, they're as diverse as people are. These are street bees. Many of them are not cute. <laughs> street bees. They are. Yeah, okay. You know, some of them... They're hardy. Yeah. <laughs> They're scrappy. They know how to get it. Sweat bees. I see. They're used to working pretty hard. And so that's the kind, That's the population that is here. It's pretty active in cities because mm-hmm. there's a diversity of plants. And if we could service them better, that's what we want to bring back? Yes. It's not a honey. It's not a managed honeybee population where we're driving it around the country. and Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And so that's what... I think has made honeybees so popular is that we can attach a dollar sign to their ecosystem services. We have made a market out of honeybees. And while I, we definitely need honeybees for, you know, a decent amount of uh, commercial agriculture too, especially, but as far as local agriculture goes, when you talked about urban pollinator habitat or urban agriculture, a lot of those can be serviced by native bees, you know, a good 75%, you know, you don't have to bring in managed colonies and you don't have to worry about bringing, you know, raising them on site 
and not having people access that part of the farm because of stinging and worries of safety, concerns like that. Yeah. And so these native bees, it's almost like they're magicians. Like they go to the plant and they pollinate it and then they go to another one, but you can barely even see them. Some of them are really tiny and they almost look like flies. I yeah, th- This is making... I'm so used to the bee... The, so the bee... When you're in the food business, you're aware of the bee problem, but it always seems to me like... It's about. I remember when the Whole Foods did that thing where it's like a, some sort of visual or infographic where it's like, without bees, this is what your store would mm-hmm. look like. And there was three things on the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. All the food went away. And so the conversation is always about pollinating crops. And then, so that's one angle on it. And then there's the Ron Finley angle, which is like, again, urban environments, people aren't eating well, let's grow our own healthy food and that'll help them understand how to eat better. But this is like a little different. It's a little different angle. I end up at the same place, I think, but it's kind of like native bees. I don't see the food industry talking about native bees or maybe because it's urban. Well, it's weird that they don't necessarily talk about them because there's a lot of different universities, especially like Cornell and University of uh, UC Davis, I believe. They're Ooh. doing a lot of uh, bee studies, both urban and they are. Uh, and rural. And so they have Got like... money behind that. <laughs> Monsanto money behind that. <laughs> There's always money, right? Okay, yeah, God, sorry, but I interrupted. There's, um, there's, there was recently a study done, and I believe it was by Cornell, that they did an urban orchard. And so what they did was they restored uh, a lot of wildflower habitat on site to raise their native bee uh, population just within that area. And within, like, you know, a few years, not even, like, three years, the bee population was raised so much that they didn't need to bring in nearly as many honeybees, you know, up to, like, 50%. And in the presence of native bees, honeybees are, they perform better because it's almost like a competition of resources. And so they bring out the best in each other too. Yeah. (laughs) Hybrid vigor. I like these uh, non-marketable bees, like they're the native bees. Of course, they're the street bees. Of course you Yeah, but they're they're not giving you honey. Nope. (laughs) They're giving you a much much more silent gift. Yeah. So is that kind of what needs, in terms of like marketing, outreach, explaining and educating, it's... Not well, so not everybody understands that there's a bee problem, right? But then even people that do understand there's a bee problem, maybe there there's is that is it? Am I oversimplifying it to say like we need to talk about native bees specifically as a thing and like develop understanding there? It's, I, not, it's not a bee problem. We, let's also talk about this native bee problem. I think so too. Is that um, you? Yes, <laughs> uh, that that is really that's, fum- that's super fumble. important. Exactly, and that's what Bumble Fumble was created for was really to bring awareness to these bees that are silently doing this work. And so, if you think about it too, it's kind of weird that companies don't think about using native bees and restoring some wildflower habitat on their uh, different egg lands because they're free. Yeah. That means that you don't have to pay as many honeybees to yeah. come do the work for you. Obviously, you're not so paying directly the honeybees, but <laughs> it's kind of—I mean, it's just—it's honeybees just lying in their well, pockets. Well, well, when you think about it, it's like, oh yeah, we have all these native bees that could do what Mother Nature intended, but no, no, we've got a better system. Because we cart in a bunch sign. of sick bees. <laughs> yep. <laughs> for like six weeks, you get it done. Then we're going to drive you across the country and take you over here to do this. It's—I was t- who was telling me? I was talking to somebody about milk. And like the dairy industry and how efficient it's gotten, that some like a lot of these big conventional dairy farmers go to the grocery store to buy milk. They don't. That's hilarious. They've got like a whole herd right there. That's insane too. (laughs) (laughs) It's like no, that I don't touch that. That's that's automatic. That's automatic. Don't smoke your stash. 
Yeah. It's like, okay. well, it could be that too. It's like, I don't I just got to go to the store. It's easier for me to go to the store than to mess up the machine that's happening over here. It's, it's true. And anyway. we are, everyone likes, or everyone really wants change, yeah. but no one necessarily wants to change. And that's a big deal. So we gotta we gotta want and be what we want. Yeah, we do. <laughs> gotta be what we want. Speaking of, fun. what? Uh, you probably haven't heard this story. When I was in high school, oh, this will be good. <laughs> well, you have heard that I was a bird bander, right? Yeah. So we'd go out on the weekends, and we would. There was there was one teacher at our high school who was really active outdoors, and he led trips over the summer to Galapagos Islands, Trinidad and Tobago. We did these ma- amazing trips. You had to pay. We did these amazing trips. But then during the year, like, we would, go, we would go to this local boarding school who had a bunch of woods, and we would set up these mist nets and ban birds. Anyway, the point of this is that I got into it, and I turned my backyard into a s- national wildlife habitat. I got a certificate, and I don't remember who I got it from. Was it from NWF? They- I think it was. It was like they had a program where like kids could do this in their backyards. It was. I had bird feeders. I had. I had pollinator the appropriate plants. I believe. I had it going on. And there's there's a lot of signs out there for you know bee approved habitat now, but also the bee that is on the face of those signs is a honeybee. Oh, see, that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> you got to change think, the face. We need to I change think the, the conversation. Stuck on honeybee. Exactly. We need to change the conversation. Yeah. Change native the bees a need bit. to hire a PR company. We're here for yeah. the native bee. We like the honeybee. Honeybee's good. Honeybees that needs help too. But let's help the honeybee by helping the native bee. Right? Exactly. They're twenty oh. percent more efficient than uh, honeybees as well. So if you know these guys are talking so about you, efficiency in their system. Like, what would you? What do we need to put in here? What kind of stuff do we? Well, I try and stay away from offering exact plants to a lot of people, mostly because it's different for every area. But there's a good rule of thumb to use. If it's edible to us, it's probably edible to pollinators. So any, you know, any crops, you know, you're planting some vegetables in your backyard or a bunch of herbs, whether it's, you know, chives or sage, things like that, lavender. uh, Lavender? Oh, yes. They love that. Russian sage. And those are, I guess those are street bees. Maybe we need to rebrand them street bees. Yeah. Of Maybe they just need rebranding. <laughs> street yeah. bees. Get to know your street bee. <laughs> little, little skateboard. Yeah. Oh, it is. Little hat on backwards kind Askew. of thing. Askew. There you go. Um, the bees like that. But wasps is a different story. Oh, that's a whole other story. They're very useless. I had, I had some major problems with raw wasps. You killed a lot of wasps. I I, that's fine. I, I never, yeah, I was so gentle with my wasps, and then they got in this one place, like right by the gate. That I could. This is a terrible story. <laughs> it involves lots of chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> You're like maybe not. <laughs> getting stung. It is just not a good story. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So so anything that we could eat, they could eat. Yeah, that's, that's a good rule. And anything that has flowers <clears throat> that are more towards the blue end of the light spectrum. Ooh. So red is more for butterflies generally, and blue is more for bees. Oh God can't compete with the butterflies. <laughs> but I mean, there are, you know, Just there are a few both. red flowers that they'll be attracted to, but as a general statement, that's a good rule to follow, is those two ends of the spectrum are very different for what they attract. And it's almost like teaching ecological literacy in the landscape too yeah. just by knowing those different colors you know what will and what won't be attracted to it which i think is super awesome it's like education in the landscape just go walk around check out what's in your neighborhood you know in the summer when you take a walk you know yeah. to go get ice cream what plants do you see bees by and they're always ones with the colorful flowers you know purple and blue that's, and yellow that's right <laughs> i didn't realize that because i've got lavender 
that they love, and I've got that some sort of ground cover, purple blue flower that they love. I've got catnip. Bees love the catnip. Oh yes. When it flowers, if you let. Can it. you have catnip? Oh, your cat can't have catnip. What? No, no, what? no I'm growing catnip in my garden, and the bees <laughs> like the catnip. But can you have catnip? What do you mean, can I, I mean, have it? I'm just saying, it's, is it something you could eat? It's not a controlled substance. Then bees could eat it. If you ate it, would you be okay? Yeah, I think kids tried smoking it sometimes, too. That's what know. I'm getting at, but cats Multi-use. can't eat catnip. People have tried smoking a lot of things. Cats want to eat catnip, but if they... Oh, Daniel. Well, cats, are... no, cats are intoxicated by one of the chemicals in catnip. Yes. But it like it erases their memory, from one thing I've they, heard. that it like gets them cats, if, if, if you have an indoor or outdoor cat and you have a little patch of catnip... Look at you using your hands. I'm, but see, I'm doing it away from the mic. They'll uh, they'll go to the catnip patch and get all fucked up, and then they leave, and then the next day you have to help them find it again, because like they get so zonked out they don't know. So that explains why you are catnip when you got those glasses. Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> My cat doesn't like catnip. I grew a bunch of catnip, but I you know really? I grew it. Turned out I grew it for the bees. Oh, I mean, the so bees good. loved it. Cat they doesn't do. care. Another uh, another good rule to follow is try not to plant single plants. Try and plant bigger swaths of them uh if it's just your backyard you know put as many in an area as you can but really a a good general rule of thumb is 15 to 18 square feet each plant should take up because one of the biggest things too is you know people are worried about pollution in the city how is that going to affect bees and things and bees need to be either able to see or smell their food and so if they can't smell it because of pollution this way they can see it and you said this, I think, in your, in that in your TED talk that mm-hmm. it's and I I remember like whoa, you, they can only like porches and gardens or uh, terraces and apartment buildings up to money, th- <laughs> oh, up to three stories. Yes, that's as high as they can get. Pretty much, pretty much. If you're so, on the fourth story, that bee is gonna. Like, mm, it'll it'll have some questions. Oh. It'll have some questions for sure. Because oh. that was very compelling the way you did that in that talk about the circles, sort of like they. A small street bee probably couldn't get from one end of this park to the other without food. No. There's right? a good yeah, there's a good chance that they may not be able to reach their next habitat spot in time. They might be stuck, especially in this park. There's not You gotta find them food every Where are the street bees right now? Are they have they moved south? Well, some hibernate, some die. <laughs> right. But they have It's a rough life. Yeah, but they've reproduced before they died, so you know, they're growing underground right now. Oh, so the mm-hmm. egg, like the larva is underground right now? Or in wood. Mm-hmm. Wood. Sweet. They're kind of chilling out. Yeah, maybe. Unlike the geese. <laughs> I guess that could be like just a cultural aesthetic type thing. Like for 20, 30 years, it was cool to have really manicured lawns and driveways and streets and grass that you could mow once a week and then over the next be a 20. The quote unquote American dream. American dream. Yeah, yeah. The next 20, 30 years, we'll figure out that's not as cool. And you're gonna have just wild. That, this other guy, this guy who did the bird banding and took us around the world. Like he, his dream was always to like buy a cabin and just not, never touch the the yard, right? Like let just weeds grow up till they were six feet because that's what he knew. What that's what nature wanted, I think. Yeah, that's smart. It's true. Like weeds <clears throat> are super beneficial. We think they're. Well, I shouldn't say we think. We have been taught to think that they are, Let's you know, we. get out. <laughs> you know, get out of here. Eat These people. are weeds. This isn't what we want in our yard. Butterfly it makes it look unkempt. But a lot of those are super beneficial pollinators. Even like dandelions are great for them. Yeah. But, you know, you start removing all of those so you get rid of that one food source. Dandelions. That was a big one. That kind of gave a bad face for weeds, especially in like urban areas. 
but... One of our favorite listeners. She still make dandelion wine? I don't think she ever did. She oh. she's took a she's like a herbal wizard or something. I don't I don't Is remember. She a what master the exa- naturalist? Maybe she's not a, that. It's more the witchcraft side of things. No, she's really into herbs. Not witchcraft. She was herbs. the one who told me that because uh, I had lambs quarters growing all over my mm-hmm. yard, and she was like, "You could eat those." Oh. So I make salads out of them. Dandelion she, greens are really good, especially yeah. if they're grown in the shade. You start growing stuff in like full sun, though, they get a little tart. Tart. Yeah. She turned me bit. on to uh, nettles. Thinking nettles. I, those I don't grow. I just buy the dried stuff. Sometimes sometimes it's worth it to just buy it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to handle. I get it, but that's the vision, right? Like all these sort of... Between the sidewalk and the street, and if there's a center lane grass strip, or yeah. what people do in their front and backyards, or what you do in a park. Exactly, and think about the light rail that Hit we have it. here. You know, there's a green strip, usually oh, that's yeah. running on one side of it. You know, obviously in some places it's just... It has to go above things, but those green strips are perfect. They're long, linear paths that connect those green spaces, too. And right now, we so we plant grass. We probably have a sprinkler there, and we mow it. Mm-hmm. So if you were to plant it in more of a pollinator-friendly approach, you might need a sprinkler. You probably need less water. You, yeah, you would need less, less water, water. And no with, real maintenance. Exactly. They take care of themselves. That's a jobs it's, killer. It's a cultural <laughs> thing. It's just like, what do we think is pretty? And seriously, those, and those flowers are awesome. The, yeah, seriously, are. I hate looking at those hedgerows, especially around parking hedgerows, lots, you know, hedgerows. where it's just one unit all the way across. Unit. And that's one of the my biggest pet peeves with what's currently going on with parking lots is a lot of cities allow, um, you know, for, they, I shouldn't say allow, they require screening hedgerows around them. And so their idea is, is that you put a bunch of plants in front of this parking lot, it'll screen it from view. But fun fact... Our eye goes to what's different psychologically. Mm. So if it's the same plant all the way around that isn't even flowering, your eye goes to what's different, which is the cars behind it with their shapes and colors and stuff. Oh. And so what if our border was a diverse thing? That yeah. would actually accomplish screening and make it seem more like a park for people and less like a park for cars. And we wouldn't all be so depressed and anxious. God, I hate those things so we would have looked at the plants instead of all the cars. grass we have Yeah. It's like... It's asinine to have this much grass sucking it's, up yeah. this much water. Exactly. And for what, you know? And in the large park, in this centerpiece, it's perfect. You know, they hold a lot of volleyball here. There's a lot of sports that happens. And so in parks, you know, there's grass is important. But to have that much, that much. grass, it's just why? You have to pay someone to mow it super frequently. And if you were to plant those, you know, those pretty flowering plants that everyone likes, including the bees, your park would be more attractive and you would have to pay less people. This is my jobs killer. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Another jobs killer. <laughs> so it seems like the geese want to have their sex. <laughs> it seems like there could be like I'm over dramatizing this, but there could be like turf battles happening over the parking lots because there's butterfly people, mm-hmm. there's bee people, well there's honeybee people, there's street bee people, and then there's uh, the. I don't think anyone's lobbying to have honeybees in parking lots. Oh, all right. Yeah, also true. Well, but I mean, but stinging people like, as they get out of cars. In terms of like, what are we going to do with all of this sealed over land, right? Because the regenerative agriculture people are, are talking about, you got to let, you got to unleash the soil again. Stop just putting asphalt over everything, and that could have this big effect on climate change and all sorts of other stuff. We've so. priced out green space in downtowns a lot, and I mean, think about it. You know, where they're building right now near the light rail near Union Station. Yeah. How much green do you see there? There's some street trees. Yeah. 
but that's about it. That's it. It's a lot of hardscape. And so they have hardscape. literally <laughs> priced like out the softscape, you know, softscape. the greenery. <laughs> oh, so you price it out. That's what they've done. You know, it's it's no longer a requirement. It's something that you can pay to get rid of. Oh. You know, you they don't have as many requirements on oh, stuff I that's see. happening downtown as far as, um, you know, planting regulations that go around it. And, oh, you know, not necessarily speaking to Denver, but in other cities that I've worked in. And... I don't know how we can afford that. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can't afford to not have green spaces downtown. A, they they make it way more vibrant, you know? It's another one of those hard costs, soft costs. Like, maybe what it's cheaper. What are che- maybe real cheaper. costs here? Yeah, Long exactly. term, though. And that's the a whole, that's a cheap big food. damn thing is short term versus long term. Yeah. Jesus Christ, if we could get people to think in the long term for five seconds, we'd be so much better off. But it's your dollar. It's how much you get for the next fiscal year for your shareholders. And then we move on from there, you know. Mm-hmm. But when a three year plan pays off way more per year than your one year plan does. Sure. It doesn't make money sense to do it that way. Yep. And and there's a the Doug, the Denver Urban Garden Network here too. You know, there's a crap ton of urban gardens around this area. <laughs> and doing this in parking lots would help service them as yeah. well. I yeah, I haven't I don't see a lot of good news on the long term. Oh no, um I'm talking to more sort of big players in like the organic food world who are, who know Demand is here. Everybody wants organic food. The sales are off the charts. We can't make enough of it. So the producers aren't growing as much as the consumer demand. But they're so they're getting smarter about talking to monoculture farmers. What are you doing? I'm just blocking wind, man. Don't okay. interrupt the flow. <laughs> you look like you're having a problem. Trust me, I'm doing something. Um, and getting getting smart with the contracts. Kind of like you're worried about the risk of, of going to organic. It's a three-year conversion process. What are you going to do for those three years? It's riskier that you could lose efficiency in your yield, et cetera, et cetera. So they lock them in for like these big 10-year contracts. For the first three years, you keep um, doing what you're doing and convert to organic but sell to your conventional people. And then we'll guarantee you for the next seven years after that. So right. that's long term. But, but yeah, exactly. And in that three years, but who's going to help buffer them? And uh, it's only the most forward-thinking uh, companies that I, I'm hearing even say that. The nice, they're listening. <laughs> the nice yeah. thing is I think Oregon Tith, um, so I lived in Oregon for a while, and yeah. their, their certification for organic, they're allowed to label what year in the process they are at. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, And so huh. that way you can still sell as, you yeah. know, conventional, but in the process of. And that, that is something we need to be adopting everywhere to give those farmers a chance to and say, hey, we are working on it. It is not today that this is going to happen, but it is shortly, and this is where we are in the process. I think they came up with a transitional. Did we talk about that on the show? Like a transitional seal? Like, I'm in the process. Sounds familiar. And in, like the way that that did and didn't work well. Like it, did, it worked fine if you were like making produce, but if you were one ingredient in a cereal, some grain in a cereal, like I'm not going to put this on my you know, one of my ingredients is in the process of going to organic. It got to be messy, but anyway. I, 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 well, you're not supposed to eating processed foods anyway, Mark. Of course, I don't eat grow up. processed foods. Yeah, French fries aren't delicious. <laughs> yeah, potatoes. Yeah, I got a problem with potatoes. <laughs> Are potatoes in danger if bee population declines? Is it GMO potato? No, no, no. Like, do potatoes need pollinators? Well, two two separate things. Yours was actually just written about in uh, the Wisconsin magazine. I think the. I wonder if it was created at Wisconsin or if it was just the woman that was talking. Oh, it was created at UC Davis. I, 
I'm not sure, but it was it's in the Wisconsin magazine the, the for the <laughs> for the um, for the magazine, and it was the the thing to remember is that we vote with our dollar, not necessarily our ballots anymore. Mm. Like you know, you have so much say mm. in your ballot, but then at the end of the day your dollar matters a lot and so there was so much outrage at the gmo potato that could go into you know mcdonald's and wendy's and things like Mm -hmm. that that there was not enough of a market for them to bring them in because they would have lost so many customers over it so your voice does actually matter so it makes a big difference you can and with gmos for me I don't have a problem with GMOs unless there's, you know, pesticides inherently um, injected into them, you know, with their DNA. But as far as them themselves, they aren't bad. It's the systems that they can support. Right. You know, when you need to do so much area of a monoculture in order to make any sort of profit on it, that's probably the line, you know, Mm -hmm. where they need all of these, you know, herbicides and pesticides in order to grow in that dense of a space it's the same thing with honeybees you know you put them on a truck they're super close together they could be next to two sick hives and even though they're well they could easily catch what the other one's got next to them you know you get a problem with aphids in your field and all of a sudden you know they're all over all your crops and so you want to you want to bite that thing in the in the butt (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but as far as uh them being pollinators of potatoes they do sometimes but i'm pretty sure it's flies that do most of the work for um potatoes Keep that story around. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I usually don't. The dirty history of potatoes. By the flies. flies. They're they're oh, as really? colorful as they are. That's the kind of things that they pollinate as well. So oh. you don't really see, you know, honeybees. <clears throat> they kind of look brown almost. They pollinate some of the brown stuff. Oh, I see. And huh. when you go into, you know, tomatoes, a lot of it, you know, you got different colored native bees. You got grapes. You have, you know, you got a whole plethora of different. Uh, food options and there's a color and a species to help out in that respect and so they're not you know they range from generalists to specialists too so you got squash bees that are just going towards the squash plants but then you also have bumblebees that they're kind of like the sluts of the pollination world too you know they'll pollinate most things but really honeybees i like to call (laughs) honeybees are the biggest slut of the pollination world they will pollinate anything for anyone because their goal is to save their colony their hive there's that's their main their main goal of the whole day is to you know provide for the hive but native bees they just gotta provide for themselves so they can be pickier like they can be choosy yeah. <laughs> so um what changes now uh that the epa is probably going to be torched and <laughs> there's a cheeto in charge yeah, that's an understatement <laughs> a of the year <laughs> it's hard when the person that's supposed to be protecting the planet doesn't believe that the planet is changing right and global change is a thing whether or not humans are causing it is not even uh, it shouldn't even be on the radar like it's it's happening super fast you know it's a weird time you know you create something i've been working on this whole idea for two years now and i mean overall the whole native bee aspect for about five years but bumble fumble just became a thing you know, that was like the first goal is to offer people this information free, easy access. And that's one of the biggest things, too, is there are a ton of different books around here at, that you can go and open up, you know, 30, 50 pages or multi-click web, websites. 
but no one's gonna go to that when they're trying to do stuff in their backyard. They're not gonna go and click 12 times to see what kind of plants that they need or what kind of rules to follow. This way, you can just print off one page, two-sided, go take it into your backyard or to your city council and actually nice. start making a difference, you know? It's the easy access that people were lacking. Is That's what I think was missing. Cool. And so providing that now, starting to develop a... Where is that? Bumblefumble.com? Yes, bumblefumble.com. We are starting to, I should say we, but it's merely me, bouncing ideas off of multiple different people. Um, <laughs> but starting to develop a page where we can feature some of these habitats that people are doing to show, you know, what what's someone in Denver doing in their backyard? What's someone mm. in Milwaukee doing downtown at their, you know, outside their city council office even, That's you know? That's a good idea. And say, hey, let's, you know, let's pick some features of the month and then offer a some kind of gift basket you know with stuff to help continue their pollinator mission as well so that way we can see what's being done out there get a few more case studies in front of people too you know you you, i bet you people have walked by pollinator habitat every single day on their way to work and have no idea that it's that you know we gotta we gotta start being more aware when we're walking look at those plants you see bees buzzing around it are they all honeybees do some of them look like flies? Those might even be native bees. You know? Let's start let's start being aware of what's really around us and not just saying, oh, that looks pretty, you know? Or those geese are loud or <laughs> I'd like to see Bumble there. Fumble have some real estate on like a nature's path cereal box, like Ooh. on the back there. Could be like a little thing you could cut out and take into the garden. That's a good mix. Yeah. yeah. That's good branding. That's a good brand match. Actually, a marketing yeah. maven. <laughs> I'm working on um, a postcard, but also on a little card like that that you can take in the, you know, put that in the photo with it. And that way it'll hashtag, we can be heroes. And that's what I want to start seeing. I was in the TED Talk. Yep. Like that, that. Hashtag, that hashtag at the end of it. I want to be able to search that or anyone can search that and see pictures of actual, you know, native bee or pollinator habitat. So you can just visually see what it looks like too. And it doesn't have to be crazy elaborate like the High Line. You know, you can put six Russian sages in your backyard and some, you know, and put some lavender in the corner and or columbines underneath a tree. You know, those are good shade plants. And that works too. And no habitat is more important than any other habitat as well. Although we need to make sure that we do many habitats because it's about the frequency of them. It's not just about creating, you know, here's a large park with a bunch of pretty flowers in it. That's great. So where are the bees going to go to when they run out of food here? You know, what if they want to travel a little bit over to the east and you don't have another good pollinator habitat spot for a mile? Well, they're not going to be able to reach it. And that's where the homes play into, you know, the backyards, the parking lots, the strips between um, the light rail, things like that. That's where those come into crucial play. It's creating those linkages. It's like building a city without roads right now. This talk has led me to realize that I am a bee hero. <laughs> and you didn't of even know you it. Are. My yard is full of uh, all these crazy plants I, that bees just are going nuts on. I man. feel like I've defaulted into it. I, I sort of... So I think our yard's pretty good. Especially our front... Where's it got zero? It's covered in pesticides. No, it's not. Yum. There's zero pesticides. <laughs> because it, we zero-escaped it a couple of years ago well, when we bought the house. Yeah. And like, But we planted instinctively things that I think are... Ha- we, we did not have in mind, let's be, <laughs> be pollinator-friendly. But it works. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my block. Okay, it'd be all right. 
that bee could kind of get around, but not enough of them, right? Not enough of them. Not, not necessarily enough of them. And especially when you look at uh, lower economic areas. Yeah. You know, they like, it, like we were talking about before, they price out green space a lot of times. And when you're going there, you don't see any plants along the street. You don't see any street trees because that's not... That's not of necessarily value to them. They want more store frontage. And parking lots don't discriminate by economic area. You know, they're in, they're everywhere. We need them everywhere. And so that's why I think that they're so important to change those regulations attached to them because they are everywhere. They can reach everyone. What about, yeah, what about, um, like, could you get a fast food chain to, like, agree to do something with all of our parking lots outside every chain we have? Yeah. That yeah, that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be good? That'd be insane. And like you were talking about before, you know, let's have a who would do it? A bee friendly label, you know, on a on a cereal box, but not only bee friendly, but be native bee friendly. And that's why it's surprising that no one has jumped on this aspect yet because this is a huge marketing campaign for people. This is gonna cost like you pittance in comparison to what you would spend on a marketing campaign trying to show that you're green or sustainable. Totally. This is the easiest thing to do for the most amount of rewards that you can reap. Saturday morning cartoon show, Street Bees. It's a gang of motley street bees. We got the skateboards. One's a Wiccan, one's a skater, one's a natural food insider. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, Originally, then you uh, sell the street bees to McDonald's. Oh yes, and then Obviously. it's a Happy Meal toy. It's oh, a and they're, they're with Ronald McDonald on the skateboard. <laughs> oh, know? the Happy Meal comes with uh, some seeds, some wildflower seeds for your People, yard. Somebody's done that before. Somebody's done. Yeah, I've seen wildflower seeds lots of places. This cup is a seed type thing. They got seed yeah. bombs and things seed like bombs. that too now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a, I mean, that's kind of the promise come of over it. And pull them up in the spring. <laughs> anyway, they're awesome. Uh, one of the longer term goals I shouldn't say too long term because it's in the relative near future but uh, I want to do a native bee game on your phone for as an app kind and like where you would go thing yeah kind of like that where you can get extra oh, you know energy packs question. when you know you can hold your phone up to a flowering purple plant and you can get an extra energy jet pack for free you know and it's using the characters as these native bees and so each one has a superpower attached to them like the leaf cutter bee can cut out a piece of a leaf and deflect the attack from a squirrel mite or you know the digger bee can dig underneath the ground and hide from the pollution as it comes by but none of those superpowers are that they can sting because Mm, because they they don't can't (laughs) and when we have the drone bees Oh God! You can ha- you can introduce different types of drone bees and GPS them so you can go track them down like, exactly like Pokemon. Oh my God! Drones are a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> that was going to be my last question. Have you seen what is it? What have oh, we the Black Mirror. The Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. That episode. That's horrifying. Josh is like, you have to watch this. We have to talk about it. Because well, we talked about drone bees a lot in the we past. Had. More kind of joking that drone well, bees would save some, us. But there were real stories. It wasn't. They were putting little backpacks on bees. Yeah, they, I don't think they have drone bees yet. But they were. They were putting backpacks on bees to that collect was a real data. Story. Well, yeah, like little tiny little that? radio. Because they wanted to see. I think they were trying oh, to chart where them? the bees went. I see. Oh yeah, I don't know about backpacks, but I know that they put like the little like sensors on them, or you know, it's like a little dots, basically a colored dot, and then they see how far they can fly and stuff. But no. that's also misleading too, because it's like bird you know. Wearing you get, a backpack. Well, you get something that weighs, you know, say, you know, three grams, whatever it is, and you put a one gram item on yeah. them. That's, you know, thirty-three percent of their body They're weight. Not so no, they very can't far. fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure technology has gotten better, but I know that happened in the past. 
And so when I was looking through literature to see how far these bees could fly, they would only have, okay, if it's bigger than 12 millimeters or smaller than 12 millimeters. I'm like, well, those are not categories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> they clearly had uh, made them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All these, these guys operate like humans do, just on a different scale. And we need to remember that, you know, these, these guys are here to help us. So we should probably help them too. I mean, without them, we're pretty screwed. Just daunting. That's it's scary. Now I'm getting depressed. Yeah, <laughs> it's we a little scary. It yeah. <laughs> I really hope that uh, that the incoming administration oh, cares yes, more about at least their damn dinner plates. You know, yeah. don't, I don't even care if you care about the rest of us at this point. But if you don't care about your own food, that's a whole other problem. <laughs> I got a good story for off off when we're mic off. This is a hot one. It's a good fun one. It's good. I gotta be careful. You, I have clients that listen to this. Occasionally, you're like, you know what I mean? Just cut the record. It's so Wasn't that fun? What was that? I don't know. That wasn't me. Well, thanks for listening. We wanted to give you some news before this show winds itself up. A little bit of year-end housekeeping. We've, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting ready. We're primed for 2017. We're shedding. It's, we're like, a, you know, like a snake? Yeah. A snake at molts. We're molting. It's like we've been molting all of 2016. It's the great natural. Now we have this tight, dry uh, (laughs) skin that we're ready to burst free from. You've probably noticed, if you subscribe to the feed, that we've kicked off two of our most popular segments into their own shows. Yeah. In the face for football picks. In the face. In the face will live on for sports talk. Sports talk. Maybe not every week, but it'll be sports talk. In the face comes out on Fridays right now. That's Fridays. Natch, the show you're listening to now. Food news eventually. That comes out on Mondays. And then the newest uh, cult in the... Uh, in the Stable. In the corral. Oh. See, I was going to alliteration there. Is uh, called Book Buddies. It's a book it's a club, book club for, for people. people. We're reading Please Kill Me, the oral history of the punk movement. The uncensored oral history of punk by Legs McNeil and Jillian McCain. We've recorded the first episode. If you want to read along, get the book. That's part one. I Want to Be Your Dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all done all of the episodes this week under the duress of child encroachment. Yep. It's been intense. So we'll bring it back on, on, tr- on track next week. But we've also given you a uh, dapper nag here. 
dropped a holiday mixer, Yuletide mixer, into the feed. That's an hour of uh, Christmas delight. There's a lot of surprises. I don't know if it's Christmas delight, something. There's Christmas songs on there. There's a lot of Julie Gar- Judy Garland Christmas you stuff. You enjoy that. I'm going to listen to that over and over. I love Judy Garland. And just, this is boring, but it's, a little, it's an important thing to know. We're going to... We make podcasts. Not websites. We don't make fucking websites. Fuck a website. We're sick of our website. Here's the other thing. It's 2017. Yeah. Uh, you don't need websites anymore. You don't need websites anymore. We're going to see. A, that's a big trend. This is, we usually we do food trends. I'm, I'm going with a business trend. I am Definitely a, websites. I'm a project leader, thought managing, or what am I? Project, project leader. maven of. Thought leader. Product. Product manage- management. Yeah, a lot of these products, they're going to be ditching websites in 2017. Why not just use some free social media deftly it's, I to think create your presence? I think to be stigma in, in like, world, oh, you, know? you got to, if you haven't paid for the site and haven't put your site up. Hello? Okay, that was Mount Vernon calling and they decided to hang up. It's wise of them. Then like, yeah, you don't. You, you don't not, count. You're not investing. Yeah, you don't count. But that's bullshit. I think you count if you don't play that game. We got a website. We're just tired of it. We're dropping it. It's going yeah, away. It's dumb. So if you go to Natch. It also costs money. Yeah, but it, it, it it's not the money. <coughs> it's the, the time. Principle. It's the principle and having to deal with it. And uh, I'd rather make shows. I would too. I'd rather put up Instagram pics. So, so if you want to yeah, find us now. So Natch.is is going away. We'll put up a little splash page there to let people know and give it about a month and then it'll disappear, which means that emails disappear too. Yeah, we've got a new email so address. So we set up a new email on Gmail. And we used to have separate email addresses, Josh at, Mark at, no, no more. One. Natch9000. At gmail.com. Are That's, you in that? Do you have that on your phone and stuff? No, no. Are we going to share the... <laughs> That's going to be You can be in charge of it for now. You can forward me if stuff. If we share that email That's account. That's N-A-T-A-N-A-T-C-H-9-0-0. Zero. Zero. Gmail.com. Three zero nine zero. Zero. <laughs> Natch 9000. Natch 9000. You can figure it out. It's the future, right? Uh, uh, and we've also changed our social media handles from Real Natch, at Real Natch, to at Natch 9000. We're all Natch about 9, consistency. We're getting into Natch 9000 right now. SoundCloud, yeah, Twitter, future. Instagram. That, it is the future. So now we're at SoundCloud.com backslash Natch 9000. So let me make this real clear, and then we'll be done with this boring shit. If, oh God, if you have Weedberry Stew... Give yourself a few minutes before, before podcasting. Podcast. Yeah. If you use our website to stream the show, you're going to need a new way to do it, which you can just do off SoundCloud because that's how we stream it through our page anyway. Yeah. So go to go bookmark. Instead of bookmarking us, go bookmark our SoundCloud. Get to page. know our SoundCloud page. It's actually really pretty. Yeah. It's a nice page. There's links there that that'll uh, direct you toward our newsletter. You got to sign up for the newsletter. You can also text the SoundHawk. There's. You listen to the show. Which means subscribe to it, probably on iTunes, but whatever. We got an RSS feed, you got iTunes, whatever. So subscribe to the show. Do that. Subscribe to the newsletter. Fuck yeah. Twitter, Instagram. Meh. I mean, it's, we have some fun there, but... SoundCloud. The newsletter and the... It's five ways. That, those things, I think, we'll, we'll continue to pay attention to those quite well. Quite well? Fuck me. Uh, I'm hoping... Merry here, Christmas, Hey, what, what's, what's your... Let's, let's end on a high note, Mark. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's, your, what's your one big wish for 2017, Mark? What would you like to see happen in 2017? In the world? I don't care. In my body? On your favorite television show. I don't give a shit. Oh, my favorite television show. <sighs> I want more people to hear the show. Oh, okay. Very self-serving. Well, it's about I was going to say world peace, but yes, uh, listen to the show. Fuck world peace. Pipe dream. Well, you don't know that. I mean, give it about 10 years. 
until the world's done. Yeah, we'll, we'll get close to the end, then we'll come around and save it. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's kind of maybe what's happening. It's like we got a little too close to, to doing things right, and then we got to take a big step back and step in shit and clean it off our shoe, and then that's not good enough, so you got to drag it through the grass for about four years, eight years. I don't know. I don't oh. have a big wish for 2017. I'm going to think about that. All right. That does our listeners no good. But yes. We got another show before right. the new I'm year. I'm also, I'm going to kick this cold. Yeah. You know what was happening to me is you're reading those. Brutal watching those, you try to podcast today. Those foodborne illness uh, lists. Oh, God. Here's what I'm realizing. Like a lot of those you can, ba- you can bounce back from eventually. Yeah. But if you're 40. <laughs> you never bounce and back you, 100%. And it takes, and it, no, and it takes you like 14 days to clear a common cold. How long do you think it's going to take you to push hepatitis or E. coli out your system? E. coli, right. E. coli. E. coli. Potato, potato, man. Salmonella Heidenberg. Yep. Uh, be well. we'll Thanks for listening. Talk to we'll you next year. We'll be back year. next week. Next year. Get it? No, we'll be back next week. You're jumping the gun. Oh, shit. I should have <laughs> saved that question for next week then. Never mind. XO. Well Kisses. played. What? You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Bixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. The most famous reindeer of all Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer Had a very shiny nose And if you ever saw it You would even say it glows All of the other reindeer Used to laugh and call him names They never left poor Rudolph Joining any reindeer games Then one foggy Christmas Eve Santa came to say Rudolph with your nose so bright Won't you guide my sleigh tonight Then all the reindeer loved him As they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in history, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, it just goes over and over. Okay. Yeah, good job. Can I have those? Thanks. Yes. What's next? I think that's the end. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, now you guys want to (laughs) see (laughs) us?